again. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Pastor Gus Brown from Akron Alliance Fellowship. Hope that you've had a wonderful, wonderful week. And uh, just looking forward to just spending uh, this next hour with you as we look into God's Word. Uh, it's exciting to be able to take time, open up God's Word, seek His understanding, and apply it to our lives. Uh, that's what God's Word is all about. Us learning it and then applying it. And He wants us to apply His Word to our life. For the Word is life. And if you apply it to your life, you find yourself living a complete different lifestyle than you would have ever dreamed of or thought of. So we want to get into his word and this week's message, one of those special ones because we're in this time of black history, but it really is American history. It's not black history. It's American history. It's that which took place here in America. And we need to really take note of it, but not to stay in one historical spot, but to find ourselves moving forward. And continue to grow in that grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And in the grace that he extends to us. We need to grow as a people. As a church. And that growth is there if we desire it. Uh, God wants to see us really become all that he ever, ever, ever imagined of us. And uh, I hope that you have a desire to be the person that God would have you to be in this time in which we're living. These are some difficult days, and we've seen that in many different ways. But we want to get into the message. The message today is simply the, the Christian and racism. The Christian and racism. Understand, racism is not dying is not going away and most likely it's going to be here with us until the Lord himself rules and reigns. But until then, we hope that we can lessen it. That uh, racism isn't that thing that tears God's church apart or even keep people from acknowledging one another and treating each other as God's creations or as human beings. So let's pray and we're going to get into this message. And my prayer is that God will speak to you. I don't know where you're at in life. Whether you're an African American listening. Or if you are a Caucasian listening. I'm praying that God will speak to all of our hearts. Father. I thank you and praise you for your word. And I pray Lord that you might minister unto us. And that, Lord, as we speak, we speak not with the desire to offend anyone or to cause guilt, but, Lord, to educate and to help both sides to understand it is your will that we live as one man and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, Lord, would you minister to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for this opportunity. But, Lord, you're the one that has to speak. You're the one that has to show up. You're the one that has to deliver the message. 
and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I want to say to you, racism is not going anywhere, and we still see it in America. It's still there. But we don't need to be a people who participate in it or give it any legitimacy or allow it in our own homes. That somehow we need to be a people who recognize that it is not of God and it should not be. And I want to emphasize this. It should not be in the Christian's life, whether it is of a African-American Christian or if it's a Caucasian Christian or any other one who names the name of Christ. Uh, racism should not be in our life. Now, I understand some of us grow up with it. It's been a part of our life, but it should be something that is finding its exit out of your life. And uh, I'm praying that somehow we might be able to help that today if it's there. And I hope that this time will be a time of understanding of what Scripture says about it. Although oftentimes we hear people say, well, God doesn't talk about racism in the Bible. He doesn't talk about race. Well, God doesn't talk about race, but he talks about ethnicity and ethnic groups within the Bible. And uh, we want to see how some of that even works out. Uh, we won't be able to hit it all because it's a broad subject. But uh, we want to key in on some main verses and really look at them and see why we allow it in our lives. Because again, it should be something that is exiting the Christian's life. It may have been part of your old life. Is definitely not a part of your new life that God wants you to live out. People need to know that Christianity and racism are not compatible. They are not compatible. Uh, they cannot exist in the same person. And there will be no harmony. There can be no harmony in the mind of that individual. There can be no peace in the mind of that individual. They don't exist together. Christianity and racism cannot coexist without conflict in the life of the one who is basically saying, I'm a Christian. But I'm also a racist. They don't go together. Now I hope scripture will bear this out. It can only cause conflict in your life. And in the life of other people. Because you are not willing to live as God has ordained you to live as a Christian. And that is for African-American, Caucasian, or any other group that names the name of Jesus Christ. Anyone who names the name of Christ have to deal with their with this area of racism in their life. We cannot say we love God and hate our brothers. The one that God gave life to. The one in whom 
God dwells in if they're a born-again believer. We cannot do that. Go with me, if you would, please, to James chapter 4 and verse 17, because we need to understand that though Scripture in its doesn't come out and just speak against racism because race again is not found in the Bible. But there are those things that are in there that we want to really look at. So go to 417 in James. Listen to what he says. He seems to anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Now, I want to hang on to that word just for a moment. Ought to do. If you don't know how to behave, if you don't know how to respond to your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, no matter what background that they come from, no matter what color their skin might be, then you're not in this word of God. And that's where you're going to learn how to live with other ethnic individuals. And you're going to learn how to love them and to care for them through this word of God. He says again, anyone then who knows. If you don't know, you don't know. But God does expect you to learn. God does expect you to change. And that's why he tells us to study this word, to show ourselves approved of him. Rightly dividing the scriptures for ourselves, that we can know how to live with one another. And that is so important in this day. We can fight against each other. We can smile at each other at one point, but have no sincerity in that smile. We can tell somebody we love them, but we really don't love them. We are hating them on the inside. There's a lot of things that can take place that should not take place in a Christian's life. And he, again, he just says, anyone then who knows the good, if you know how you should be treating a brother or a sister, and you're not doing it, it's sin, he says. It's sin. It's sin. And this Bible is to correct our thinking and how we see other people. How we see them. Now, let me say this. Those of you who may say, I don't see color. I understand what's being said. You're just looking at the man or the woman or the person. That's what you're basically saying. But you cannot deny that you don't see that I'm an African-American man. So you do see me. You need not to lie to yourself and say, you don't see color because you do. And the thing is simply this. Can you acknowledge that I'm your brother in Christ? And can I acknowledge you if you're not like me, that you're my brother or sister in Christ? And I am to love you, to care for you, have your best interests at heart. There are things that scripture teaches us that we ought to be doing with one another. But it's so easy to allow hate and Satan to get in here and to divide us rather than 
finding ourselves united in one cause for the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Again, he said, boy, who knows the good he ought to do? Do you know the good you ought to do in the life of someone else? Now, we need to understand discrimination, structural racism, systematic racism, prejudices, all have to find a door that says exit in our life, and it has to go. It has to go. We cannot live the true Christian life that God's ordained for us without dealing with these issues. And they are in the church. And we need to deal with them even in the church. And sometimes we don't like to talk about them because they do hit home. And it challenges a lot of people to, what, examine themselves as scripture says. But we ought to be able to do that, to examine ourselves in light of God's word and really ask the hard question when it comes to the area, am I a racist? Do I hate a white person? Do I hate a black person? Do I hate this person from India or this person who is of a different ethnic background than I am? We got to deal with that. There is a little hope for us, and that's what it is, a little hope for us. Until we become tough-minded enough to break loose of the shackles and the bondage that Satan has placed us in in fighting one another in this area of prejudice and racism, and a lot of it comes from half-truths not really understanding God's word and downright ignorance for somebody any time in history to say that another individual did not possess a soul and that used to be one of the biggest arguments within the church that American Indians and people from Africa they were not real human beings they did not have souls and it was the Catholic Church that came out and basically said, they have souls. They are human beings, just like the rest of us. Now, it didn't stop slavery and it didn't speak against slavery. But they did come out and truly say that a black man, an American Indian, they are human beings and they do possess souls just like the rest of us. Now, we need to understand if we don't throw these shackles off, these prejudices and these half-truths and this anger and hatred that we have, it's all just going to lead us down a spiral of just more ignorance and ignorance and ignorance towards one another. Now, like life, I hope we can See this in scripture. Like, like life, racial understanding can only take place in the presence of somebody different than yourself. It can only take place with other people, touching them, communicating with them, and 
we have to allow ourselves to be in this uncomfortable zone sometime and really seek to understand each other and talk with each other. And we have to allow ourselves at times to recognize, boy, I don't know it all. I thought I knew something about this person, but I don't know everything about this person. And I'm willing to learn. If I'm not willing to learn about you, and you're not willing to learn about me, we're never going to be able to work together. And that becomes the real key, that we work together in the body of Christ. We work together as human beings, respecting each other to improve our communities, our society. We have to learn to work together and not to be at odds with each other. Now, I want you to turn with me to Acts, because I think we see a little bit of this in Acts chapter 10. And Peter had to recognize some things about himself. And he also had to recognize some things about this person called Cornelius. But without spending time with Cornelius, without wanting to get to know Cornelius, and without God's interceding in both of these men's lives, maybe their path would have never crossed. And even if they did cross because of the manner in which Peter had been raised, he would not have been able to really communicate with Cornelius or go into Cornelius's house and really minister to him because in the fashion and the way in which he was raised and molded and put together. And sometimes the way we have been put together and we've been molded and the environment that we have lived in can stir up such hatred on the inside that we somehow just work that and work that until it just spills out. If you ever watched the movie, and you're going to hear me uh, go back to this movie a couple of times during this time, is 42, Jackie Robinson. So many good lessons in that movie. But if you watch this little, I'm going to say 12, 13, no more than 14-year-old boy, who goes to the baseball game with his dad, and Jackie Robinson is playing. And at that time, everybody was against Jackie Robinson playing. And they were using the N-word, the N-word, the N-word. And the young boy was hearing it, and he was fighting within himself. Do I say this? Don't I say it? Do I say it? Don't I say it? And you could see it. And the young man who was playing that part played an excellent role, because you could really see him struggling with this. Who's right here? Are the people around me, are they right? Is it wrong to belittle this man, to call him out of his name? Is it wrong? And finally, because the crowd around him was shouting the N-word, he started to shout it. So he's growing up in an environment of hatred and seeing people that are not like him in a different light. 
because other people are somewhat forming how he sees them. And it's amazing that sometimes we allow that to happen with us. We allow TV to form how we see people. We allow newspaper writings and so on how we might see people. Uh, we allow books and we allow different things to help form how we might see people. God wants you to see people, one, as he created them. No matter what their color are. No matter what the color might be. That you can say God created them. God gave them life. And they are made in the image of God. And boy, that's a hard one to explain. But that whole process is something that we have to really take a good look at. And when we see another human being, that we can truly say, that's a creation of God. So in 10, I'm going to start off in verse 24. It says, the following day, in Acts chapter 10, verse 24, the following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Cornelius got a crowd in his home waiting for Peter to come and share whatever it is that God would have him to share with him. And then in verse 25 it says, As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. Now, Cornelius is just doing what has been taught in his environment in that time when somebody of certain titles or prestige enters into your presence, you bow. Uh, you give them that recognition or that high respect or whatever. But something here takes place even with Peter now. And he says, but Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. Now, I want you to hear what Peter says here. I am only a man myself. That is the first recognition that sometimes has to take place. This is all that I really am. I am no more or no less than the person that I'm looking at. And Peter says, I am a man myself. Now, he didn't put Jew or Gentile or Roman or Greek, he just makes this statement, I am a man myself. So he's seeing this other individual as a man, as a man, as he is a man. And he says, I am only a man myself. Now coming to verse 27, he says, talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law. Now here comes that teaching. For Peter had been taught, Jews and Gentiles don't mingle. Jews don't go into Gentiles' homes. Jews don't sit down and eat with Gentiles. And he says, Boy, uh, you are well aware that it is 
against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me. Now, boy, those are some powerful words right there. God has shown me. And it really does take God to show us that we are to love others as ourselves. That we are to love our neighbor no matter who that neighbor might be or what color or shape or size that neighbor may come in. That we love that neighbor. And he says, but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean or not acceptable. That I can find something wrong with them. And because I find something wrong with them, I don't associate with them. I keep a distance. And Peter said, God has shown me I don't find others unclean. So when I was sent for, catch what he says now. Oh, in verse 29 here, so he says, For when I was sent for, I came without reasoning, without raising any objections. I came without raising any objection. And by law, by Jewish law, Peter could have came up with all kind of objections of why he couldn't come to Cornelius' house and spend this time. But also understand this. If he would have refused to come, he would have been disobeying God. The one who took him up on the rooftop and showed him that there's nothing unclean that he has created. And he simply says, boy, so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objections. But may I ask you, may I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius is going to begin to tell him why he was sent for. And he simply says, Cornelius answered in verse 30, Four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. And suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers and remembered you and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is he is a guest in the house of Simon, the tanner, who lives who lives let me get by the sea. Who lives by the sea. Now if this messenger could come and tell Peter, tell Cornelius, send for Peter and tell him where Peter is located and at at that time. Send for him. Why couldn't this messenger, why couldn't this messenger share what Peter is going to share with Cornelius. I want to 
take you back to a little thing that we said. Contact. Contact. To understand one another and get to know one another and to appreciate one another and really love for one another and care for one another, there has to be contact. There has to be contact that is made. And God wants Peter to make contact with Cornelius and Cornelius to make contact with Peter. Now, understand this also. Because this is going to happen, both of them grow. Cornelius gets the information he needs to know about what it takes to be born again. Peter then gets the information that God's word, God's message is to all people and all men in God's sight is the same. The only thing different that God sees about men is that they're saved or they're lost. They're saved or they're lost. And God wants to find each one of them that are lost and bring them to himself. And that's what he's doing with Cornelius, but he's using Peter to bring the message. And if this one who came with the message sent for Peter, and this is where he's at, he's at Simon's house by the sea. If he can give him that information, why couldn't he give the other information that Cornelius needed? Because God wants Cornelius and Peter to be in contact and talking and understanding and loving each other and then showing forth their service for the one who has saved them together. And he said in that verse 33, he says, So I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God. Listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Cornelius, them, their hearts are ready. Their minds are ready. And, and Peter has the message that God wants to speak to Cornelius and to the crowd that's there. But Peter now is going to interact with these Gentiles. And that's new for Peter. That is strange for Peter. As Peter said, boy, conscience-wise, I imagine Peter's going through it because he's in a Gentile home and he knew he was not supposed to be where? In a Gentile's home. In Galatians, we find Peter struggling again and even Paul corrects Peter. But yet here, Peter is doing what God wants him to do. Over there, we see Peter still struggling with his past life. And some of us are going to struggle with our past life. That Peter even, oh boy, when he heard of the other Jews coming from Jerusalem, he separated himself from the Gentile. That he would not be accused of breaking any laws. But here now, 
He's in this house. And sometimes we'll struggle with how we've been raised and the things we've been taught that may be wrong or against scripture. We'll struggle with those things sometimes. And they don't quickly disappear. But we need to find ourselves loving one another, being in communication with one another, being in contact with one another, seeking to understand one another. That's the only way we're going to get ahead of this thing called racism if we get to know each other. And he goes on and he says, and then in verse 34, he says, then Peter began to speak. Now, listen to these powerful words that Peter is going to say, because Peter is going to clarify something for us here. And I want you to go back again to what Peter says earlier. God has shown me, God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean, or I shouldn't think of myself better than this man, that somehow I'm above this individual. Listen to what Peter says here in that verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize. He what? He now realized. Something different now than what he's ever realized before. Ever took note of before. Peter says, I realize I've been wrong. Even though the law says I should not go into a Gentile's home, even though the law says I shouldn't speak to a Gentile, I shouldn't do this with a Gentile, I realize I was wrong. And he says there, then I know, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. God does not show favoritism. What is he saying? Just like God saves me, God's going to save you with the same gospel. He doesn't show any favoritism. The same thing that's expected of me in repentance is also expected of you in repentance. And that God loves us Equally, God cares for all humanity. And he says, God does not show favoritism. He said, I realize this now. And realize something for Peter. He's of the what? Chosen people. And now he can say, God doesn't show favoritism. Because God wants to reach who? All people. Whether it be Jew or Gentile whether it be Greek or Roman, whether it be black or white, God wants to reach us all and bring us into that community where we're loving and caring for each other. And we need to understand that, that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation, every ethnic group, every background who fear him and do, now catch this, do what is right. And how we're going to learn what is right? Do this. Do this. We're going to learn how to treat each other 
rightly through the Word of God and to really love each other and care for each other. Now, I want to share something a little bit more with you. Some may back and forth, but that's okay. We can disagree to disagree, but without knowledge and without truth, you will always be in darkness. But wherever there's darkness, light is always persistent in trying to break through. And I want you to understand something. That racism is always a form of ignorance. It's a form of lack of knowledge about the other person. Whatever the fears might be, or whatever you may think about yourself, that you are better than, or you're higher than, or you have a higher IQ than, we're not better than someone else. Someone else may be smarter and brighter in certain areas of life than I am. But there's something in my life that I can do better than he can. And there's something in your life that you can outshine somebody else. And they're going to be able to outshine you in some area. And that's okay. Why? Because God gave us the abilities and the skills for what he would have us to do in serving one another. Now, the thing about the ignorance is simply this. Those who are saved and are Christians, we need to teach ourselves how to recognize ignorance. When somebody comes against us or somebody speaks wrongly towards us, we need not so much be ready to fight or, or, or cuss somebody out or jump in somebody's case. We need to recognize, first of all, where's that coming from? And we need to understand that Satan blinds people to truth. And what is missing here is real knowledge of the truth. Now, why don't you go with me to Proverbs 29.9. Proverbs 29 and uh, verse 9. Because without truth, you cannot really behave or conduct yourself in a proper manner. So, we need truth. I want you to listen to verse 9. If a wise man goes to court with a fool, the fool rages and scoffs, and there is no peace. If you try to really find common ground with a fool, you're not going to do it. I'm not going to be able to much talk to somebody who is with their white sheet on or their anger or the way in which they've been taught, but they aren't open to learning or hearing or discussing anything. We're not going to move. We're not going to make any progress. We're not going to have peace. And he says, the fool rages and scoffs, and there is no 
peace. Go over to chapter 18 of Proverbs also. Just uh, catch what is being said because I don't need to argue much with a fool. And you have to sometimes ask yourself this question. Who is really the fool? The fool that is talking or the one who is trying to communicate back to the fool? Which one is really the fool? And sometimes it's better off not to even answer. And you're the one who's going to have to weigh that situation. So in Proverbs 18, 6 and 7, he says, A fool's lips bring him strife. You let somebody just keep talking, they will hurt themselves. You don't have to say a word. Let them keep calling their names. Let them keep to They embarrass themselves. Other people are hearing or seeing and watching. And it says, boy, the fool's lips bring him strife. And his mouth invites a beating. Now look at verse 7. A fool's mouth is his undoing. Is his undoing. It's not you trying to undo him. It's not you trying to show that you're more intelligent than he is. It's not you trying to belittle him. He's doing a good job all on his own. He says a fool's mouth is his undoing. And his lips are a snare to his soul. He's damaging himself. He's damaging himself. And we have to teach ourselves to recognize racism. We have to teach ourselves to recognize how to respond to racism. And I'm not just talking uh, black to white, but also white to black. Now, hear me on this. There's a lot of black people that are racist. They're just racist. And they hate white people. Just like there are those who are white who are racist and hate black people. We have it on both sides. And only God who has torn down that middle wall petition and wants to bring us together has to work in our hearts. Now, I want you to catch this because you have to teach yourself to recognize racism and respond to it appropriately. There's a proper reaction based on the circumstances you find yourself in. How many of you have ever watched the movie, The Great Debate? And in that movie, the father of the young man who is going to be one of the debaters they're out on a Sunday drive or, or whatever, but he hits this hog. And these two men run out, and they start on him. And they start using the N-word, and they just start right into it. Right away, the man recognized he was more intelligent than the other two. He's a professor. He's a pastor. He's well educated, but that wasn't going to help him much at this point 
unless he used the wisdom that goes along with knowledge. And he offers them his paycheck. He's offering them the little cash money he has to take care of whatever their loss would have been. But his son is looking on. And his son is embarrassed by him because he's allowing these men to treat him in a very unrespectful manner. But for him to retaliate in the wrong way may have cost him his life. That's why you have to recognize racism. You have to recognize prejudice. You have to recognize structural racism and systematic racism. You have to recognize it. And you have to conduct yourself appropriately based on the circumstances if you're going to make any headway. And the first thing you want to make sure of that you are securing your life and those that might be with you. That everybody is safe. You don't want to hurt anybody who's trying to hurt you, but neither do you want to be hurt or anybody who is with you. And therefore, you want to use wisdom and appropriate knowledge in the circumstances that everybody might be safe and yet somehow dissipate this thing that it slowly begins to come from here down to here. And we always want to remember it's our mannerism and our attitude that's going to help us through these situations. And we want to be also careful with our mannerism and our attitude in these situations. Because racism is a socially learned behavior that can explode in a minute if we allow it. And it can get the best of us in a minute. Any of us. It can get us very quickly. Those who participate in it lack knowledge. That's all. They lack knowledge, just like Peter did. He lacked knowledge until God showed him, until God revealed things to Peter about another man that was just like him, a man. Peter would have only used the law in which he was raised with and most likely the environment in which he had lived and how Jews and Gentiles have treated each other. As Christians, when I begin to name the name of Christ, it demands of me also, as I learn the scripture, to treat my brothers and sisters who are not like me differently, and with a true sincerity 
of really wanting the very best for them. And those who participate in racism, they lack knowledge. A person of wisdom and intellect will fear an ignorant person because an ignorant person has no control. An ignorant person is never really embarrassed or put to shame. And they lack knowledge. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. And, and I want you to see this because if somebody doesn't fear God, why are they going to fear anyone else? If you don't have knowledge of God, you're not going to fear him. But boy, when you get a little knowledge of God, you reverently fear him with a high respect of who he is and what he's capable of and is not to frighten us into obedience or to scare us into obedience is that I learned the very character of God and know what he's capable of in blessing or withholding those blessings in cursing or setting me free from the things that damage me personally, or damaging you. And thereby, I'm gaining a knowledge of God. But as I gain knowledge of God, just like with Peter, he's going to gain knowledge of the Gentile. He's going to gain knowledge about Cornelius. He's going to see Cornelius differently, a man just like him. And we begin to see things differently. Now, a foolish person has no fear. An ignorant person, when they're not knowledgeable of something that can really hurt them, they have no fear of it. So in that Proverbs 1-7 it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord, the high respect of God brings about knowledge. Knowledge that is needed that I might live the appropriate life that God's ordained for me. Now, catch the second part of it. But fools despise wisdom and discipline because God's going to discipline me. He's going to give me wisdom, but the fool despises it. He has all that he thinks he needs. He don't need the knowledge from God. And therefore he hurts himself. But he also hurts others. Because if he does not have a respect for God or a fear of God, why would he have fear or respect for another human being? And I want you to really grasp that. That our respect for one another and real love for one another doesn't come from this sinful man here. It comes from God. For there is nothing good in us, Paul says. There's nothing good in us. But by trusting God, he does good deeds through me. 
He loves through me. He he shows kindness through me. He does things that are just amazing. Now, every black person must learn, and every person really must learn, to rise beyond the expectations that people may put on you. And it's amazing, oftentimes, when people oppress other people, they do not have high expectations of them. They're always low. And we are to erase those misunderstanding of ability and capability that might be in our lives. We erase those things by the way in which we live and conduct ourselves and the things that we do. Back to Jackie Robinson story number 42. If you've ever seen the movie, you may have seen when he went into the dugout, took the baseball bat in there, and he just whamming the walls. I mean, he's just highly upset. And the owner of the club comes in and talks to him. And he allows Jackie to know, you're not going to win the respect of the people by destruction. See, this is only going to most likely get a bullet. This is only going to most likely get four or five more people engaged in beating up on someone else, hurting someone else. This is not going to win the battle. Up here and in here wins the battle. And he tells Jackie... You go out there and hit as many home runs as you can. You run them bases and you steal as many bases as possible. You play this game called baseball that many people think you are not worthy of being a player on this field with other men. You go out there and you hit, and you steal those bases, you run those bases, you'll win the crowd. That took patience. That took time. But it happened. And it's going to take patience and time for us. But we will win the respect of others by our mannerism, and by what we do. Go to Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. Romans 12 and verse 3. Because we need to understand God gives us his word to help direct our lives that we might be able to win other people, that we might be able to work together and find ourselves really caring about each other and taking care of each other. So in 12.3, he simply says, and get these eyes focused back on this word again, and says, For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, 
Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Know your limitations. Know your strengths. Know something about yourself. Know what God has blessed you or have gifted you or given you talents that you can perform and do certain things. Know yourself. But in knowing yourself, don't try to put yourself above somebody else just because you have abilities that they may not demonstrate or they may not have. But yet we are to know our limitations, our abilities, our skills. But do not allow that to mislead you in thinking that you're better than someone else. Now, go over to Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Philippians 2. Some of you already know this. Verse 3 and 4. Listen to what it says. Do nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Don't, 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 don't do things just for yourself in a sense that you achieve. And that's not saying don't be successful. That's not saying don't do, but don't do it with the purpose of showing off and making somebody else feel lesser than. He says to us, get my eyes back, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Boy, that's a mouthful right there. Consider others better than who? Yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests. He's not telling me not to take care of me or care about me. But I do not allow my skills and my abilities to degrade someone else. But also to the interests of others. How do I help others to learn it? How do I help build up others? How do I allow them to teach me something rather than me always being the teacher? How is it that I always got to be first and they always have to be last? We are to care for one another and help each other. And in helping each other, we make a better life for each other. We build each other up. And it takes that in life, that we learn to work together for the glory of God. Henry David Thoreau, he wrote the book, Civil Disobedience. It's a book that a person over in England 
was reading and putting into practice with their economical skills and so forth. And Gundy got hold of it. And that's where Gundy, in a sense, put his nonviolence together by this American writer by name of Henry David Throne that he used against the English, the powerful nation at that time, that he used against them. But he added one thing to it. No harm to another. Now, David Thoreau had this premise. And the premise was simply this. The premise is a higher law than civil law. Demands the obedience of the individual. Human law and government are subordinate in case where the two are at odds with one another. The individual must follow his conscience, his word of God, not human law, but this word of God. Must follow his conscience if necessary, disregard human law. The law can give us a right to do something, but that doesn't mean it's right. That does not mean it's right. And that's part of this battle that we're fighting. That sometimes law favors one group over another group. And yet somebody has to be willing to say, I'm not going to follow that law because this is a human being and this is how I'm going to treat them. And necessary disregard human law. Gandhi took this teaching and he added this little Hindu teaching to it. No harm to another. Which created what we call nonviolence that Martin Luther King used. Nonviolence. Can we find that somewhat in Scripture? Go to Romans chapter 12, 17 and 18. Because we need to understand that God doesn't call us to violence. But he calls us to be at peace with all men. But most of all, to do what is biblically right in our own personal life and in the life of those we encounter. So in verses 17 and 18, get these eyes again straightened out. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Now that's kind of difficult and hard to do. But that's what scripture commands of us. We don't render evil for evil, hit for hit, name calling for name calling, eye for an eye. We don't do that. 
says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Then he says, now be careful to do what is right. Why careful? Because our feelings have gotten involved. Our anger has gotten involved. And it's so easy to slip off the cliff. It's so easy to use the excuse of what somebody's done to you to render evil back to them. And he says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. To do what is right in the eyes of everybody. So even that person who may not like you, that person who is prejudiced towards you, that person who is doing all the things to hurt you, God says, you do what is right and they'll see it in their sight. You're not responsible for how they react or how someone else reacts. But you are responsible on how you act. <coughs> Excuse me. We all are responsible of how we act. And that's what Dr. Martin Luther King recognized. That we are responsible in the manner of how we react in civil disobedience towards those who deny certain rights and privileges that should be guaranteed to you by the Constitution. <coughs> and therefore, you can hear him even today. When he spoke that famous speech, I have a dream. He was just not speaking of one group of people. He was speaking to America. America, to all of us. Not just to a black, not just to a white, not just to a Chinese, not just to an Indian, but to every one of us. That we would rise up as a country and live out the ideals that we have put on paper. That all men are created equal. And we the people, even though the Constitution was written at a time in which you were a slave maybe or some of you were slaves or some of you were not even thought of in a sense when they were writing this. But it's written, we the people. Whether they meant to include, didn't mean to include, were included based on the word, we the people. 
And that can be a difficult for some of us. But our job, and what I want to leave you with, is simply this. It is your job and my job to help others live up to what the Constitution says and what it grants to all Americans. And if you are a born-again Christian, I have a responsibility and you have the responsibility of watching my life and I should watch your life that we live up to what this word declares we should be and how we should act and what we should do in the life of those that God brings into contact with us. It can be challenging to live a different life as Scripture points out to us. It can be very challenging, very difficult, but let me end with this note. It will be rewarding to your soul and to your life and those who come in contact with you. You can be a blessing to so many. Well, God, thank you. And I pray somehow <clears throat> we were able to challenge but understand Christianity and racism cannot reside at the same address. As something comes in that is new, that old has to find a way out. Make sure you look in your life and you can truly say that you are not prejudiced, you're not discriminating against anyone, you're not a racist, whether you be black or white, but that you love all the people that God has created. Father, we thank you and praise you for your loving kindness to us. And we thank you for your word. Would you, O oh God, write your word on our hearts and our minds? And by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you give us the strength to live them out? And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. See you next week.